It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. As the fallout from the collapse of two major banking institutions and fears of further possible economic turmoil down the road continue to dominate headlines, lawmakers are concerned after the Treasury and Federal Reserve stepped in to guarantee even uninsured deposits, worrying that the move possibly could either lead to further bailouts or that no action could allow financial panic. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks, and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking system overall. I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. Meanwhile, the gloves are beginning to come off in the 2024 Republican presidential primary as former Vice President Mike Pence issued his strongest rebuke of his one-time running mate and the president he served under over the weekend, while former President Trump continues to attack Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on his Truth Social account and in an appearance in Iowa. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Axios senior political correspondent Josh Kraschauer, Main Street columnist at The Wall Street Journal Bill McGurn, and Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Jessica Tarloff. Uh, Josh, I was surprised by Vice President Pence at the gridiron saying that January 6th, uh, the former president will have to will be held account for his actions of that day and inaction of that day. Uh, And then the former president in Iowa saying that the reason January 6th happened was because of Mike Pence, uh, essentially saying had he sent back the votes to the state legislatures, there wouldn't have been a January 6th, which is kind of an interesting retort when you're on the campaign trail, maybe trying not to talk about the 2020 election. Yeah, Brett, that was a notable criticism from Trump's former vice president. And it it shows that he is the Republican that if he runs for president is might be the one who looks to distance himself most from his former boss. Uh, That was striking at the gridiron to take a serious note and, and talk about uh, his rebuke of Trump on January 6th. But it, it goes beyond that. He uh, took a position on on Ukraine. Uh, he spoke at the University of Texas uh, a couple weeks ago and reiterated his support for Americans, a military aid to Ukraine in, in, in contradiction to the comments that Trump has been making on foreign policy. Uh, so Pence is looking to run for president as a traditional conservative who embraces many of the policies coming from uh, the former administration, but is increasingly comfortable going after his old boss. And look, if there's room for the old school Republican uh, conservatism, that Pence may be the ticket for, for a whole lot of uh, supporters. So that said, I, it does seem like the energy is with either Trump or, or DeSantis, who increasingly is positioning himself 
closer and closer to the MAGA movement and closer and closer to a more populist brand of conservatism that uh, Pence uh, is, is straying away from. Yeah, Jessica, I find it's really remarkable um, that in a response actually to Tucker Carlson's question to all the candidates, uh, Governor DeSantis came back with a pretty detailed uh, policy on Ukraine that called it a territorial squabble, yeah. uh, which is starking, stark in its difference of where many Republicans up on Capitol Hill are. Um, but President Trump is, you know, more towards that that definition. Absolutely. It's also a stark contrast from what you would expect um, Governor DeSantis to say if he was still in Congress. Right. That's a big departure from someone who was a pretty run of the mill Republican that was always for increases in defense spending and would certainly be on the more traditional side of all of this. And I just saw a few minutes ago that Lindsey Graham tweeted out an obvious rebuke to what uh, Governor DeSantis had said, talking about how important our support is for Ukraine, not only for the Ukrainian state itself, uh, but for peace in the region. And that if you're not on the Ukrainian side, then inevitably you're on Vladimir Putin's side, which is a side that only has, what, you know, five or six countries um, on it. So I was surprised by that as well. It doesn't feel to me, and I'm obviously looking through the lens of a Democrat at, at all of this, but that there's room in the MAGA positions for anyone but the king of MAGA, Donald Trump himself. So if Ron DeSantis sounds like Donald Trump, but you can get Donald Trump because he's a declared candidate and we know in the primary he's going to have the strength of his base, whatever that is, 30 to 40 percent of the primary voting base, why would you wade in in that exact way? I would frankly, when your question, the way you phrased it, kind of uh, intonated that you're thinking the same thing. Why release such a detailed answer on that particular issue and just say, you know, we stand with the Ukrainians, but we have to look at where our money's going, right? And just Which leaving, is what Tim Scott exactly, and others have said. To keep it opaque and to say, you know, we're for democracy versus, you know, authoritarianism. But, you know, Americans have to come first. We have an open board, you know, all the talking points, the fentanyl streaming mm -hmm. in, what's going on in East Palestine, et cetera. Um, I was surprised he, he went for that. Yeah, Bill, how do you see? This obviously is going to be a huge issue in uh, this election. And you have President Biden and Democrats fairly united, although I will say there are clearly some Democrats who have angst about, you know, going as far as as the Biden administration's going with possibly F-16s and and other things going into into that war. But, you know, this split in the Republican Party will be really uh, a wedge that, you um, politically is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I have to say, as someone in the White House during the Iraq war, we would have loved to have a situation like Ukraine where there are no U.S. soldiers deployed. They were doing all the fighting themselves. Uh, they were doing better than expected. Uh, I, I'm inclined to, to side with Tim Scott. I think we ought to ask hard questions, but I think there are answers to it. I think Ukraine is in our interest. And uh, I regret one development, I think, in politics where each side can't admit that the other side may be right on something in foreign policy because it, it's seen as a political concession. I think a cold-blooded look at Ukraine uh, says that... Um, What's happening now is uh, largely in our interest to contain um, 
a menace. A, a Putin is a menace. Um, what didn't we have a, a a Russian plane collide with one of our drones today? They yep. they make no bones about that. They make no bones, and it's not costing us any soldiers, and it's giving China second thoughts about Taiwan. So um, I was surprised to hear Governor DeSantis come out that firmly because I'm not sure um, that's in his best interests or the country's. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Yeah. Is it in a primary interest, Josh? Or do we think that the Republican electorate in the primary has shifted that much? I mean, think about this. This is, you know, a Republican electorate that traditionally is pretty bold on foreign policy. It has shifted in the Trump years. But even in the Trump years, there were, you know, bold actions. Um, let's say taking out Soleimani in Iran, um, other moves. Uh, but for the most part, he's touting that he kept the U.S. out of wars, the former president is. And his pitch now is to say that this Ukraine action and our support of it is driving Russia into the hands of China. And that in the big geopolitical picture is a bad thing. Well, it makes DeSantis look more like a follower than a leader of, of the Republican Party to the point that, that Jessica was making that he, you know, there, there was a a sense going into this primary that DeSantis's big opportunity is that he can bring the MAGA world and the more traditional Republican elements together, not just as an imposing uh, Republican primary candidate, but someone who's very competitive in a general election, given his track record in, in Florida. But what this move does is it puts him squarely in the MAGA spacing within the Republican Party. The, if you look at the polling, Brett, Republicans are pretty evenly divided now on the issue of Ukraine. So it's really 50-50. You see almost every other Republican other than Trump and DeSantis taking that traditional, more more hawkish view. Uh, so Trump, DeSantis is now competing with Trump for the more MAGA space, but he's both jeopardizing his appeal in a general election if he is the nominee, 
and he's showing that he really is worried about being able to crack that base of support that Trump has has, has maintained and has shown some resilience with. So this this to me looks like a move born or a position born out of uh, a little bit of political fear, especially since Ron DeSantis, we've known him since he was in Congress, criticizing the Obama administration for not giving enough weapons and not giving any military aid to, to Ukraine when, when Russia invaded Crimea. Uh, he was always a, a major hawk in his Capitol Hill record. So he's flip-flopping to the MAGA position, and he's seemingly doing it to try to compete with, with Trump in that space. Uh, I think it's fascinating. We're going to have a story about it tonight on special report. Um, I want to turn to the bank uh, fall out and the failure and what some people call a bailout. But clearly it is shoring up investments across uh, deposits across uh, the country in all these banks. What I found interesting, and we talked about it on the panel, Jessica, is the president's instinct is to come out, calm people. But then without leaving that speech um, yesterday morning, he said the reason this is happening is because of the rollback uh, during the Trump administration of regulations. And he was referring to the loosening of the uh, Dodd-Frank regulations, mm-hmm. which, by the way, 18 Democrats right. voted for. Um, and Barney Frank yeah. himself <laughs> was supportive of. And yeah. so Barney Frank comes out and says that has nothing to do with it. But it follows this track of, you know, in the middle of a crisis to go point the finger for the train derailment. It was about deregulations during Trump and the Washington Post found four Pinocchios that it had nothing to do with anything that the Trump administration did about that train derailment. Um, so what about that instinct uh, by this White House? Well, that instinct is, and unfortunately, people who want to get reelected have to have it, is for self-preservation, right? There was a very interesting piece in the Washington Post um, that came out about how upset the Biden team was that they had to deal with the question of bailing out elites versus Main Street, right? That this was a a conversation from the 2008 financial crisis that was a a huge problem for the Obama administration, right? That it looked like they just wanted to help out people who had been taking advantage of regular Americans forever. They got caught, the system failed, and the government said, you know what, rich people? No problem, right? While everyone else is out there just trying to put food on the table and send their kids to school and maybe take a vacation to Disney World once a year. And so the Biden administration really didn't want to have to do that. And so the answer to that is to be able to make it partisan in some way. And what I find unfortunate about that is then it has also opened the door to what the GOP is doing. And they're talking about how that this is a result of uh, DEI initiatives and ESG investing and all these things. And if, if Silicon Valley Bank wasn't woke, there wouldn't have been a problem. Well, no, if we hadn't had these interest rate hikes. And if Silicon Valley Bank hadn't been ignoring the fact that the treasuries that they owned almost exclusively were not valued at what they were when they were purchased, they were trading way below on the market, then we wouldn't have had this problem. So it allows everyone, I think, to go to their worst selves, frankly, on a partisan (laughs) level. Right. Bill, I want to get back to the you know, straight talk uh, and and not relying on pointing figures that actually doesn't end up being true. And that's the problem about the the allegations. But I do want to just go to this. If you're going to say we don't want to be in this position politically of bailing out, you know, elites. And yet you don't just say, 
I've got your $250,000 deposits. I will guarantee all of your deposits. So how is that encouraging banks to not do something bad? How does that not say, go ahead, do your risky stuff? You know, just just let it ride. It is. Um, you nailed it. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when uh, we thought the answer was Dodd-Frank and it was going to fix everything. And somehow out of each crisis, no matter how bad the regulators get it, their authority remains undimmed. Um, uh, we spoke last night about moral hazard. Usually that's with the government guarantee. As you point out, when the government gives a guarantee, uh, people can assume more risk because they know if they lose it, it'll be backed up by the government. But what's weird about this is that we're expanding the moral hazard to the parts that we didn't explicitly guarantee. And this never contracts. It only goes out more. So I think we're going to see more bailouts in the future, and we should be pairing back. And uh, the president is right. Um, failure and stuff is part of capitalism, and we've got away from that. We've um, not let the people that make the profit assume the risk. They can put it on everyone else. And you know, the, before we worried about the big banks, now we're worried about the mid-sized banks, and we, we don't want to merge with the big banks because they get too big. Um, I fail to see how the regulators come out good in this one. Yeah, and it's also it's manna from heaven for uh, some of these candidates, Josh, who are just saying, you know, this is the easy populist, low-hanging fruit. You know, don't don't bail out everybody. They don't need your money. Eventually, it's going to fall to the taxpayer one way or another. And uh, Vivek is uh, among the people who are really hitting this hard uh, as a campaign issue. Yeah, this is political uh, batting practice for, for Republicans yeah. going after <laughs> the word bailout. I mean, I, I, even even going back Brett, to, the, to the Bush years and dealing with the Great Recession and, and the divides within the Republican Party, over TARP, which turned out to be, you know, generally received as good policy, but it was extremely controversial and unpopular, even at a very uh, fraught economic moment. Uh, and this is this is much easier to go after one bank, Silicon Valley Bank, which uh, deals with investments and, and uh, a lot of venture capital for wealthy uh, individuals. It, it's easy to kind of compare, you know, the bailout being received here with folks in East Palestine and other working class individuals who don't have it uh, that easy. Um, but, you know, look, I, I also think you also have some interesting divisions within um, sort of the anti-woke world, which has become the kind of glue that holds the Republican Party coalition together, where Vivek Ramaswamy, who wrote the book on that issue, has been clashing with some of the uh, investors who are also uh, conservative, who have money or have some investments or connections there. So, you know, on, on the policy, it's a little more nuanced, but on the politics, Brett, it's a clear winner for, for the Republicans. Yeah. Back to my original point about what the president says and that it doesn't get really fact-checked. And besides us, maybe a few other outlets, um, you know, he just gave an interview um, to, what is that guy's name? Penn, um, Carl Penn. So anyway, gives the interview and he's talking about gay marriage. And when he realized that, gay marriage was the right thing. And he came out and said, well, you know, I really had an epiphany um, my senior year. Now, that's five decades ago. <laughs> 
And yet, in 1996, he voted for the Defense of Marriage Act. He could have voted with the other yeah. 14 Democrats, like Boxer, Feinstein, Kennedy, Kerry. He could have voted with them. And then, in the campaign for vice president, he came out on Meet the Press and said, a marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, what happened to the epiphany <laughs> back in his senior year to... You know, this moment, I guess what happens is that these stories get told like he was a civil rights marcher. He went to this certain place in Afghanistan, this, you know, and all of it eventually somewhere gets pushed back on. But largely the media says, oh, it's just Joe Biden and they move on. And it's it's just an interesting thing that I don't think any other president or candidate uh, would get. It, it, to me, right, Brett? Um, yeah. I think that there is a tremendous well of goodwill towards Joe Biden that has been built over five decades of service, you know, and I think that that's part of it. I think that generally people are just not that interested in the details and they're interested in kind of the overarching point about it. I don't know any Democrats who think that Joe Biden was always for gay marriage. We're very aware of the fact that he wasn't in the 90s and that he wasn't even when he was running as vice president. And then essentially Obama convinced him that this was the right way to go. And then he got to be the head of the project. Right. That was yeah, probably, Obama had his own evolution. Obama yes. did. Everyone has had evolutions. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Clintons on abortion. Dick I mean, Cheney never got credit for his evolution, but I get it. Yes. Yeah. And. I think that to your point, you raised, you know, uh, the claim about East Palestine and the the breaks, the regulations getting relaxed wouldn't have stopped the train derailment. It's very few people that are reading the Washington Post fact checker, right? And know. we just all have a feeling We're about the someone, I get it. I right? Get it. And I think that in a world, frankly, that Trump took advantage of, right, yeah. and exacerbated to such a level. I mean, think about, I mean, the guy was for the war in Iraq, and then he ran on the idea that he wasn't. And I bet if you asked his average primary voter, right, his, like, diehard supporter, they would say, oh, no, 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 he never supported that. And he eventually had to talk about it because someone, you know, nailed him on it. And he said, oh, I've had an evolution, just like every other politician. Um, but obviously the idea that Biden, when he was 17, was for gay marriage <laughs> and then right. started voting against it. When you think about what was going on when he was 17, um, is obviously patently ridiculous. <laughs> Bill, you're a former speechwriter, and, I mean, some of the uh, somersaults that have happened in in the r rhetoric out of this White House is, is really something on a number of different issues. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I, I agree with Jessica that um, there's a lot of goodwill toward Biden, especially from the press corps, because I think almost no other candidate would get it. And I think a lot of it is because he was a guy to beat Trump and they overlooked everything. I, I mean, Biden has told falsehoods about so many things, uh, as you point out, over his life. And uh, people just shrug it off. Um, any other candidate, uh, I, I think on either party, would be called to the carpet for it. But actually, it's kind of a, a law that the more lies he tells, um, the less attention they generate, the less outrage they generate. People are used to it. So they just say you have to factor that in. Yeah, but do you think that Donald Trump falls in that category too? I mean, he's obviously had some whoppers <laughs> along the way. No, I, I think he falls in the category of exaggerating, but I think there are people that call him out all the time. I yeah. don't think with Biden 
they call him out. They let him uh, campaign from his basement last year, and um, they they just don't hold them to the same standard. Can I just I add think- that corn pop was real? I actually think that that story matters a lot for what's going on here. You know, Biden does get it right sometimes, and then it gets fully attacked, and then lo and behold, corn pop, real you person. Know, Jessica, I think any other person that presented themselves as a civil rights leader when he wasn't would be excoriated, uh, and probably in both parties. Yeah, that's probably true. Last word, Josh. <laughs> if it is, uh, turns out to be, and it very well could be, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. <laughs> what are the chances that there is a third party in that race? Do you think that I, I they're think increasing or do you think that they're they're still small? That is the ideal scenario for some third party, no labels candidate to at least explore an opportunity to run, if not on ideological grounds, on age grounds. And you have a you know almost you know Donald Trump in his upper seventies. Joe Biden would be 86 at the end of his second term if he was reelected. I, I think getting a younger candidate who would campaign on a sort of a centrist message of, of, of calling a new generation for American leadership, that, that could be compelling more than any ideological third party candidacy has had in, in recent years. We have a long way to go. A lot of podcasts along the way. I appreciate the time, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brad. Now for a bit of Thank history. You. On March 14, 1973, the future U.S. Senator John McCain, along with 107 other prisoners of war, were released from a North Vietnamese prison camp. McCain, who spent five years in that camp, would serve as a United States Senator from Arizona from 1987 until his passing in 2018. McCain became most known for running as the 2008 Republican presidential nominee, as well as his deciding vote in 2017 that prevented the Trump administration from repealing the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Bill, Jess, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.